0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everybody? Rob Doster here for The Field of 60. Today, we are bringing you another episode in our off the carousel series where we will be joined by each and every new head coach to the division one ranks There are almost 60 of them. We're going to be rolling these out a couple of days throughout the month of May and the month of June. So make sure that you subscribe to the channel. And if you like this interview, don't be afraid to tap that like button. That stuff really does help our channel and help our presence on YouTube. It helps more people like you find this content. And since I have you guys here, make sure that you check out our Instagram and TikTok pages. We are going to be pumping out more unique content over there throughout the summer, heading into next season. Like, for example, did you know that Penny Hardaway was shot when he was a player in college? I bet you didn't know that. There are more stories like that on those pages. The links are in the description below. So, now without further ado, let's get into another edition of Off the Carousel.
2: Folks, welcome back to another episode of Off the Carousel Field of 68 offseason interview series. I am Matt Cox with Three Man Weave, joined by the newly minted head honcho, Chris Jans, Mississippi State, Hail State, as they say down there in Stark, Vegas. Coach, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon?
3: What's up, Matt? Um, pretty good. Uh, my Monday's off to a good start. Uh, my week, that means my week's off to a good start. So hopefully that will continue.
2: Yeah, you just uh, shared behind the scenes. You just purchased a new house. I'm going to give you a round of applause. Congratulations on that, man! I know that's a big, uh, a big undertaking. Every time you make these types of moves.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, you know a bullet point that continues to get larger the uh, longer you put it off. So, like all the coaches, you know, um, wife and family to and from, and we're no different. And this was her uh, second trip since we got the job initially, and we were uh, successful and finding a home and certainly we've got to, you know, get the loan approved and um, make sure the praises and all that good stuff. But I'll leave most of that to her. And, and uh, here in the next few, six, seven weeks, we'll hopefully be transitioning and uh, settling into our new home and Starkville, Mississippi.
2: That's awesome, man. Well, Hey, we were uh, myself, my two colleagues, Kai and Jim had dinner with Jeff Goodman, actually, Las Vegas. This was I believe, the opening round of the NCAA tournament. So a couple of weeks back, Um, And this was after the the job had opened before you had officially accepted it. We're just sitting there kind of going back, talking about the coaching carousel stuff as as college basketball media guys like to do, thinking about who would be a good fit, where, and we all sat there and said, you know, potential prospects to fill that Mississippi state void. We all said your name and we thought that just be a home run hire, given your track record, your history, just what you've proven as a coach X and O wise, you're, like I said, your esteemed resume, three-time WAC coach of the year, uh, and a pretty good fit there in the SEC. It checked all the boxes. Is that kind of how it felt to you when you took the job? Like this is an automatic no brainer opportunity. Um, or was it more of a hesitation given what you had going at Mexico state the last, um, you know, especially the last five years?
3: Yeah, first of all, I appreciate that, uh, you know, my name was coming out of your, your uh, esteemed gentleman's- uh, We spoke it into existence. You're welcome. That's right. that. Yeah, maybe that was part of uh, why this happened. But um, once I got involved in the job and learned more about it, um, certainly I felt like, hey, this is in my wheelhouse. This could potentially be something that would work for both parties. You know, you guys probably sit around talking about this kind of stuff all the time and give your- uh, opinions to one another about you know who who was hired and was that a good fit or not and um, certainly a lot of people have made mention that this looks on paper anyway to be a good fit and you know we're five six weeks into our, our tenure and um, it, it certainly feels like it is thus far you know we're obviously a long way from you know putting our team on the floor and with the landscape of college basketball who knows how long it'll take to get to that point to have a full roster etc but um Yeah. We were really happy at uh, New Mexico state. You know, we were there for three years and then we moved within Las Cruces and not many coaches do that. We had a a nice home in Cruces when we first got there, got settled. And then after we were there for a while, we're like, Hey, this, this may be where we end up until they kick us to the curb. You know, we may coach here until they say, Hey, we've had enough of you. And, uh, we're going to move on. And so I said, hey, let's let's act as if that's the case. Let's buy a home that we'd like to be in for 10, 15 years and knock on wood that you know they'll allow us to be here for that long a time. And so we did. And again, not many coaches move three years in to a tenure at, at a mid-major school, but we were happy and comfortable and we we're going to prepare for that. So I wasn't freaking out about the next job or, you know, am I going to get another opportunity at this right. level? Um, not another opportunity, but a opportunity um, to coach at this level. And I think maybe that attitude may have, may have helped us uh, leave some pressure that way too. So uh, we were happy. We were happy, um, but these opportunities are, are hard to come by and, you know, I'm not saying it was a no brainer, but in the end of the day, I don't, we weren't going to say no, um, regardless of the situation, um, just to, to have this um, challenge to coach in this league at this level and under the bright light. So um, we're pretty, pretty excited about it and grateful at the same time.
2: Yeah. The one coach that came to mind as a comparison um, relative to your prior situation, you just talked about in State, you know, Pat Kelsey, a guy at Winthrop, you know, in a position. To year over year dominate that league and put yourself in an advantageous position to make the tournament on an annual basis. Right. And that's kind of what you had there in Mexico State, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020. Then COVID threw the biggest wrench into your program, in my opinion, of any other, you know, program in the country. Put that all behind you. You're right. You're five weeks into this thing. Seems like it's been a year since you were officially brought on. Um, you're in the whirlwind right now of the off season portal momentum you have already locked down two critical cogs getting Tolu smith and Chikil Moore to come back. As I look at your roster, the way it's shaping up, you're really dipping in all the different wells, right? You know, JUCO, where you have a lot of um, prior experience. You're looking at bringing kids from the other D1 schools via the portal. Um, and then the whole notion of re-recruiting. Um, just want to you know, hear your thoughts on how you try to balance your time and how do you try and strategize with, you know, like I said, the re-recruiting of existing players when you first come in. Versus the go out and attack and get new players and try and replenish that that roster on the fly in such a short time, what feels like a mad dash against you know the arms races of coaches that you have in the SEC. Right.
3: Every coach that's been interviewed will tell you that one of the questions is always the same. Right. There's some standard questions that are always asked by um, the people in the room, and certainly I think coaches ask the similar questions as well. And one of them is always, you know, what's your 30, 60, 90 day plan? You know, what are you going to focus on and Uh, I've been doing it long enough now where, you know, you expect that question and um, the answers have changed over time. But for me, it was simple and it's still working on that. But on game day, when you exit the locker room to the floor, who's in the room with you? You know, to me, that's what I'm focused on is is who's in the room from not just the players. And certainly that's the number one priority, but your staff, the trainer, the strength coach, the managers, um, because a lot of people uh, have some input and can impact positive or negatively the outcome of these games. But the most important people are the ones that you walk out with, in my opinion, on game day to, to actively, um, you know, impact uh, the wins or loss or how you play, et cetera. So I'm still focused on that um, in terms of managing my days uh, as you well know, I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to do when you're new. Um, and there's a lot of things that every coach has to do in the off season, but when you're new, uh, it adds to it, like the house purchasing and, you know, where does that fall in line? Certainly for, you know, most wise, it's number one on the list, but for the coach, uh, it's not always that, that, you know, you're not always uh, in the same synergy with, with, with how, how they want to get it done in in a timely manner. So, um, Just really focused on, um, like you said, and there's a lot of different buckets, you know, re-recruiting your own team. And and that's everywhere, not just when you're new. You know, you're behind when you're new because you don't have relationships, but I don't care if you're new or not. Um, There's always at least one to how many returnees that you feel like a staff you got to recruit. And that happened last year, you know? So it's not as if, Um, you didn't have that thought process. And, uh, you know, even at New Mexico state, we were very fortunate um, that we had a lot of great players returned last year that could have went elsewhere, had opportunities to go elsewhere and they came back. So, you know, I think when that happens, it makes you feel good about how you're treating your kids and what's going on behind the scenes and how much better they're getting. Otherwise, you know, they're going to jump ship the first chance that they get, um, especially in the new landscape. So, um, but these guys here don't know me, they don't know anything about me. And, and so, you know, develop relationships with them. is just as important as developing relationships with potential new recruits. And we're smack dab in the midst of, of trying to do all that right now.
2: The one thing about New Mexico state, you know, we're just thinking about the types of teams you had. Um, now, as you look to make that jump to the SEC, you want to come in obviously and establish, you know, a competitive roster be as good as you can right off the bat, but you probably don't want to take any shortcuts, right. And think about the long-term developing a foundation for, you know the identity of the culture, to use the uh, the, the almighty buzzwords there, um, that'll be staying with the long term. From my vantage point, from our vantage point, there was a very clear uh, DNA in which you guys played with New Mexico State, right? You know, long, athletic, versatile, you know, physical. You know, those types of of traits seem to pop on a year to year basis. Uh, is that something you're trying to transpose as you come to Mississippi State, or have you thought more about? You know, maybe as you step up in class, you're looking to maybe have a different type of, of approach, a different type of player prototype that
3: you recruit. Yeah, I've been uh, transparent from the jump with uh, in the interview process at the press conference, um, any interviews that I've given when people ask me about this. I'm not trying to build a program. I'm not worried about building blocks. The only building blocks that I'm concerned about is the standard of expectation that we're having, um, the work ethic that we want every day, the mental approach, physical approach that we want every day, that's the building blocks. But in terms of finding players to build your program upon, I think that's dead. I I don't think that's where we're at in college basketball. I'm trying to build a team for next year. And I'm not worried about any other year than that. Like even last couple of years, staff would come to me, hey, yep. there's a junior college kids with three years. And I started telling them, I don't care. I don't care if it's one, two, or three. Yeah. How good are they right now? How much can they impact us next year? And that's all I'm concerned about is next year's team. If a guy has two, three years of eligibility, does that make it a little more appealing? Yeah, but nothing, nothing like it used to. Um, and so our attitude and our approach is who can help us next year? We're after those guys that can give us a chance to be competitive and to win as many games as possible. But the days of building a program um, are over. I mean, for most people and most programs, I'm sure there are certain situations, you know, maybe, you know, because of an academic situation that you have to still look at it that way, um, et cetera, or, you know, because of transferring credits and all those standards that maybe other schools would have at the highest level of the academic world. Um, But I think most of us are pretty focused on um, just year in and year out, you know, putting a team together.
2: Yeah. It seems like that's the way the winds are blowing. I mean, look at Jay Wright, Villanova, right. One of the few outliers who seem to have that type of year to year roster continuity, but just the difficulty of maintaining that in today's day and age. um, I mean, near impossible. You talk about how important it's just to win now, right. Put all the bogus future stuff aside, build the best roster you can for next year with guys that you can are ready to contribute right away. I think one of the, the, the domains in which you, the, the ponds in which you fish in is that Juco pond. You know, one of your SEC uh, comrades, Dennis Gates has had some success recruiting there as well. You obviously know that area, like the back of your hand, a uh, Chris Beard, a, a notable coach who you know came through the Juco ranks. What is it about that, that talented, that, that pool of players that um, either you feel like you can tap into so effectively or were you having an advantage recruiting other relative to other, you know, competitors now at the power six level?
3: Well, I think first of all, um, sometimes I think the junior college ranks get a bad rep. Some people try to stereotype those kids and I've coached, you know, four different ones as a head coach. And some of the best kids I've ever coached were started at a junior college for whatever reason. And so I don't look at them with that lens. Um, And I think that once you get involved with, Uh, a junior college uh, prospect, I mean, you get some street cred, you know, because you coached in junior college. And so the relatability maybe is a little different uh, in those situations. And certainly with the coaches and and the staff, um, you know, they, they are trying to get, most of them are trying to get to where we're at now. And so I think that all, you know, uh, helps a little bit in terms of, of, you know, getting off to a good start with recruiting some junior college players. And we've had a lot of success with them everywhere I've been. It's not just the Mexico state, but you know, the previous stops that I had as either an assistant or a head coach. We've had some success with those kind of guys. And I think junior college kids look to that, you know, Hey, is this guy coached juco guys? How have they done, you know, and their juco coaches are telling them that don't go somewhere where they're not accustomed to having transfers or having guys for a year or two. And, You know, uh, that brings me to the point of like this, this whole landscape, like for guys like me, and there's a lot of us out there, like we're not uncomfortable in this space having guys for a year or two because it's familiar with us. It doesn't freak us out at all. And, um, you know, it's a lot more sprint recruiting The marathon. recruiting um, is is just not the same. You're certainly going to have some of that with the best high school players in your region, in the country. But um, for the most part, it's going to be a lot more sprint recruiting uh, that's going to be going on.
2: I like that term sprint recruiting. So when we talk about the balance between, uh, and this is at least how some people like to frame the different types of recruiting strategy. One lane, you can you have a certain prototype you want to recruit to that prototype, a certain type of player, or, or try and fill needs. Versus you go out and get the best players there, and then you can build, you know, the the, the blueprint around those that talent. Is there? Um, for, for as you go from New Mexico State, Mississippi State, is there going to be a change in that approach because of this print recruiting, because of the stuff of the competition, or is your general approach with recruiting, player acquisition, roster management will that still stay kind of the same as it has been?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, and especially since, like, for us and a lot of programs, we're still in the midst of trying to put it together. You know, your philosophical approach is one thing, but when it's you know, um, live action, so to speak, like we are now, you've got to make decisions on, you know, one, who you go after, two, if, if you get someone, how does it pair with, you know, the guys you have and, you know, who you need to get now um, to make up needs, et cetera. So um, I'm still the mentality right now of we're trying to build a team. You know, I yeah, want some right. guys along the, the roster, if you will, um, to have depth and have competition. But at some point you may have to go, Hey, I got to get the best players available to me and figure it out. Now I'm not there yet, um, but I can see how it could get to that point where you may have an extra bag or an extra guard, then maybe you would choose to do so, but right. Beggars can't be choosers at some point. And I'm not there yet. And I think, I don't think most programs are probably there yet, but it's around the corner, yeah. you know, the portals closing up and uh, who knows how that's going to play out the rest of the summer of kids you know, um, still bouncing around or not? I mean, that's a whole nother, obviously, a, a podcast, but, um, but that's a great question. And and um, right now, my mindset is like I said, to still try to put it together like we always do, but that could change here shortly. So
2: everyone's talked about the whole NIL wild wild west. Obviously, you walk into the eye of that storm, in the SEC. A lots been made of the you know super mega deals that you know Arkansas has inked some kids to, and there's a plan of plenty of blue blood programs in that league coming from new Mexico state to Mississippi State, I'm sure you guys weaponized it to some degree, or were thinking about that, you know, toward the latter years of your tenure there. Now you move up to the sec. I mean, is this like a, a whole new greenfield space for you, or do you feel like you've started to think about this and you're, you know, more or less ready to compete now with the Joneses of the sec in that, in that regard?
3: Yeah. I mean, gosh, I mean, it's, um, the hot topic, right? Uh, All over the country. You know, I see the same things that you see on social media Um, probably hear more stories uh, maybe on the daily basis from, you know, different coaches that we talk to about, you know, apparent deals that are happening and uh, the amount of money that we're talking about here. Uh, One, first of all, I think it's awesome that these opportunities are there for the student athletes to, you know, to have them comfortable, you know, while they're getting their education, while they're pursuing for a lot of them, at least around our level, you know, professional um, aspirations. Um, Again, I don't know if they, this is what the NCAA set out to do, but this is where it's at right now. And um, it's, it's, it's just mind boggling at times. And you either have to adapt and change as a university and as a coach, coaching staff, um, or you're going to get left behind. And the universities that, that you know, are behind are behind. And hopefully, you know, um, those that are for the coaches uh, perspective anyway, are trying to play catch up. Some are ahead of others. Um, but at least for the short time period, this is the way it's going to look like and feel like and sound like and um, you have to get in the game. Certainly, you mentioned the Mexico state, you know, we, we were thinking about that. We were very involved and, and, and we're, I think ahead of the game, probably at least for that level Um, which, you know, the staff that there's now is reaping the benefits of that. And now that we've transitioned over to uh, the Mississippi state, like you say, we're, we're trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses. And um the other component of that is, you know, there's the liars poker component, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. Of, of, you know, people saying one thing, but is it actually true? And, you right. know, why are they saying that? What motivations behind that? And, you know, you're just trying to wade through it and, and find the truth, if you will, uh, or at least as close to it as you can get. And then, um, you know, make any adjustments you have to make. But it's definitely a different world. I don't think anyone could have predicted it um, that it was going to be quite like this two, three years ago. But uh, we're knee deep in it and we're all trying to figure it out.
2: Yeah, seems like no one really knows what's going on. So um, everyone flying flying by the seat of their pants, I suppose. I was going to ask you. I was mandated to ask you, Mister Jans. What is the funniest, craziest, or most entertaining recruiting story you have? Um, And you've been doing this for quite some time. That dates back to 1991 was your first year at Elmhurst, I believe, not too far from my humble abode in Chicago. Um, Obviously, there's going to be some funny ones that will pop up as you get into this NIL stuff, but just thinking back over the many years in which you've gone after players, like just, you know, one for the, the storybooks, if you have one.
3: Oh gosh. I I hate when I get asked these questions about, you know, what do you most remember about this player? You know, (laughs) When did you know when, you know, he, he had, he was going to be this kind of guy and I'm just not great at that. But the thing that it's not that funny, it's just how recruiting works sometimes is uh, when I were at Wichita state, we are recruiting a highly coveted junior college player named Clancy early. Oh yeah. Um, yep. So it ended up being drafted by the, by the Knicks. And he came on his visit, right. Two night visit. And we had awful storms in Wichita and like in the plane schedule was all screwed up and he ended up having to stay like four or five nights. And it was like a five day deal, you know, and I'm sure people are going, yeah, right. But I promise you, he couldn't get out, you know, as a coach, as assistant coach, like, okay, what am I gonna do all day long? You know, I mean you
2: You're entertain shit out, oh, it's tough, Two yeah. nights,
3: three days, but but it turned out, you know, he loved it and he spent all this time and you know, kind of built relationships with with people in a short period of time because he was stuck in, in Wichita for basically almost a week or at least five day period because of, of the weather. And uh, we ended up getting him. And obviously he was a great player for us and had was a part of great teams and ended up getting drafted. Uh, in the NBA by the Knicks, but uh, when you, when you say that crazy story, I mean that, I've just never been anywhere where you hosted a kid on a recruiting for a whole week for a week, <laughs> um, and, and um, I'm I'm glad it worked out. Certainly, if it didn't, um, it probably wouldn't have felt too good about you know wh- where we were at at the time and, and where we were living. But uh, uh, it worked out f- uh, for everybody.
2: No, that's all, yeah, one of the all-time Wichita State players during the uh, the heyday of the Shockers. So, yeah, hey, Mr. Goodman required that I ask you about your substitute teaching, serving as a valet at a club when you were first getting into coaching. Uh, we just did some research behind the scenes. Your official title, I believe, at Elmhurst was activities director. Uh, tell us about that little stint and how that uh, prepped you to man the ship of one of the SEC's uh, programs. Since,
3: <laughs> since, since uh, uh, Mr. Goodman asked, I'll have to. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my first few years in the business, I mean, I don't know if you could start any lower. I mean, I was uh, basically an unpaid, I think my salary was $500 or $1,000, $1,000 um, for the year at Elmer's um, Vision Three. I worked with a great guy in Scott Trost, who's now at Lewis and my first mentor I ever had. But um, as I look back, I was i was in college coaching for, um, let's see, two, four Six, seven years before all I did was basketball, like seven full years before all I did was coach basketball. None of my salary had was coming from a different title um, as I look back, which I never really thought about that till right now. Uh, Certainly I did, you know at different times of my life, but not recently. And so at Elmer's my first two years, you know, I did a lot of odd jobs Um, on the weekends. Once I got hooked up with this, this company, I would ballet cars at the, at the hot clubs and, you know, the, the trendy places. And, you know, I'm 23, 24 and, you know, these dudes, it's not, a bad, not a bad gig, not a bad gig, man. And I'm running to the car and I'm like driving these cars going, Oh my God, is this nice? You know, like really nice car. <laughs> You no, know, the hours weren't the best because, you know, they're usually open pretty late at night. And yeah. uh, and then I, I, I substitute taught during the day, um, you know, around our schedule as best I could uh, while at Elmhurst. And I worked a lot of basketball camps at that time. And then when I went to Grandview College in Des Moines, Iowa, um, that's where I was the activities director. I was responsible for bringing the uh, like comedians and bands and things like that to campus, along with – Uh, I was the men's residence uh, hall director so I lived in an apartment in the men's hall we had a men's dorm and a woman's dorm and that was back in the day we had pagers you know Uh, so if something was wrong and you know I was not on campus I would get a page and I'd have to you know hurry back to campus and figure out what the heck was going on fulfill my my uh, duties so um you know, none of, yeah, much, you know how that goes. Like they, they give you these titles and these jobs so you can actually do what you All want, right. Basketball, <laughs> but your money and your insurance and everything else is tied to uh, these other um, titles and responsibilities. But yeah, seven years until, uh, I was just strictly basketball. And I mean, I thought I, you know, at that point I was so excited. that I didn't have to do anything else, but the coach ball and recruit and everything else that comes with it, but, um, quite a few jumps and, 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 uh, different types of hats I had to wear at a young age to, uh, you know, continue to chase these, uh, these dreams.
2: Yeah. There's no more thankless job than an RA. Um, I can attest as being on the other side of that relationship, just making that person's life a, a miserable hell yeah. for my first freshman year. So props to you for doing that. Who was the biggest gig you landed? Comedian band as activities oh, director. Pearl could, Jam, uh, Dave Matthews yeah. Band, who'd you oh, get?
3: Yeah. We weren't in that spread. Of- <laughs> we were NAI Division II in Des Moines, Iowa. With I mean, our budget wasn't um, wasn't like that.
2: No, um, not quite there. No,
3: no, no, it was mo- more local comedians and, you know, a band, you know, for a big weekend or something like that. So, um, yeah, and, and when I was at Kirkwood Junior College, I was a head coach. And I was in charge of um, basically, they would get class credit for going in the community and doing um, yep. um, basically community service. We had a name for it. I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, so I had to go out and meet with all these business owners and, and, and different things and get students into, the, into their. It wasn't an internship, it was much shorter than that. But um, yeah. like my list of people to call was like 50, 60 deep and try to pair them up with students. And um, it took a lot of time. You know, it took a lot of time to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, you try to schedule it around practice, obviously, as best you can. Well, folks, that's
2: why he's a grinder. Chris Jans, Um, best of luck as you embark on this daunting task of going toe-to-toe with the SEC heavy hitters, in which there are plenty at this point. Um, one last question, put you on the spot, before i let you go, Chris. Of the SEC landscape, what team, what program – and I, I won't let you say Kentucky just because I feel like that's the obvious answer. Which of these schools' programs scares you as like a sneaky dark horse that you're just not looking forward to coaching against, playing against, or you see just sort of an up and coming, uh, you know, shooting star in the way the program's bubbling? Anything that kind of catches your eye around the league?
3: You know, there's a lot to choose from. You know, some great coaches, great programs. Yeah. Um, I'm just my first reaction is I'm not scared of any of them.
2: That's the right answer, That a boy. Good. I don't
3: fear any of them, but at the Good. same time, I respect a lot of them and I've got some great coaches and players and we certainly got a lot of work to do and I've got a lot to learn and uh, we're behind and I understand that. And every day is crucial, but um, you know, if to single one out would be, be hard to do, but um, we definitely um, have some steep hills to climb for sure.
2: You do. You'll get there though. Chris Jans, everyone. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the off the carousel ep- weekly interview series, presented by the Field of 68. I'm Matt Cox. Take care. Until next time.
4: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.